Hi, and welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at Strad. Double bassist Luis Cabrera is my guest this episode. He's the principal bass of the Netherlands Philharmonic Orchestra and a professor at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London. When he's not doing either of those jobs, he's tackling some monumental solo repertoire. Bach's Cello Suite No. 1 on double bass. Luis chatted with me about his long journey preparing and recording this suite, his approaches to playing solo Bach, as well as strategies for playing a work not technically written for your instrument. Here he is. Luis, welcome to the Strad Podcast. We're here today to talk about playing the Bach cello suites on the double bass. You've recorded a series of videos uh, of the first suite to be featured on the String Virtuoso platform. Uh, And this ties in a little bit with our article, our sentimental work we've got in the July issue, Edix and Ruhr's double bassist also talking about the Bach cello suites. So it seems to be quite a popular thing to do for double bass players to tackle these monumental works. So tell me, first of all, when did you encounter the Bach suites for yourself? When did you start learning them and start to perform? Hi, Davina. It's a pleasure to be here. I first encountered the suites during my years as a student in London at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. And I played a little bit of, of the first three, you know, single movements first. Finally, I would complain, complete the, the first suite. But I didn't really perform it until I was 22 and I played a recital in Madrid at the time. And it was the first piece which, with which I, I opened the concert. That was, you know, with, you know, with my first bass, with the modern bow, and I, I still remember, you know, the, the, the feeling, the timing, the, the sensation of, of performing them in the concert, and I really enjoyed them so much. But somehow, after that, I parked it there because somehow I thought I would retake them at a later age, which is what I did. What's interesting about these videos that you've recorded is that you've chosen to perform in a historically informed way. Um, And you're using, very noticeably, a Baroque bow. So tell me a little bit about your approach using a Baroque bow as opposed to the modern bow that you used when you first started playing the works. After that recital, I parked the the Bach suites for a while. And recently, like for the last couple of years, I started to include uh, some movements in my recitals or, or, or performances. And at first I played them with the modern bow and once I thought like, oh, I'm going to try with my baroque bow and I felt like, oh, this really makes a, a, a big difference. And I kept doing it and trying different baroque bows until finally I, I one day comparing bows with my colleagues in the orchestra in Amsterdam, I got to one that was like the lightest of all of them and really was like an instant match. You know, I could feel that that was what I had been looking all that time, you know, like um, the bow that really helped me express all those things that I, I wanted to. I used it for, for a few recitals and then I started thinking like, oh, I would like to, to record this. And a few friends who were there told me like, this is very special and you should also try to do it. And that was the, the, the reason I decided to do it after that, after that encounter with this very light baroque bow. So what do you think a light Baroque bow offers that perhaps a heavier bow doesn't? What I feel is that um, it rings and it articulates the beginning of the notes without necessarily produce a huge sound, but just articulates the front of the notes. 
And with all the string crossing and use of harmonics and open resonances, it, it creates a very beautiful round start attack of the note, if you like, that really rings while you play the other three notes. For instance, if there is one and three or three and one, as Bach writes it very often in terms of, of slurs, uh, the, the bow just makes it very easy to, to express all, all that. In terms of uh, also the, the contact with the string, it's a little bit different for me than, than with a modern bow. I feel it's more immediate. And even if you're playing a long note or a legato passage and you're not vibrating, it really helps you to make the line and to really aim a little bit longer with the phrasing. That's quite interesting what you say about how you feel mm. the response is immediate mm -hmm. because I think with my experience playing gut strings as a cellist, there is this feeling of pulling the string a little bit with um, maybe with gut strings perhaps, but um, with a Baroque bow, um, this feeling that you need to sort of let the note swell a little bit. Mm. I'm curious to know, um, you know, what sort of combination of, of rosin and bow do you use in order to have this immediate attack, but also something that's not too heavy? Well, we all express it in a different way, but I find um, it's, uh, well, the snake boot versus the Pernambuco for me gives that um, difference in the beginning of, of the note. For double bass, I used uh, a rosin called Liebenzeller, which is not necessarily as sticky as the rosin we use in the orchestra. It's a bit more powdery, but yet has a very clear emission of the sound. And um, yeah, I see what you mean. With, with gut strings, uh, sometimes happens the other way around that the response can, can have a bit of a swell. I find in, in the lower frequencies gives a bit of a punch, a bit of articulation that I also like playing in ensembles with gut strings. And, and I think, yeah, it's, um, it works maybe a bit better in the lower range, I guess. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, you need to sort of lay it down if mm. you're a, if you're a bass player. And, and that's interesting what you say about powdery rosins as well, because I think w with a lot of modern players, modern mm. bass players, am I right in thinking that with the really sticky rosins that you have, it's really geared towards playing modern music. Yes. Mm. Correct. So you're you're trying to get such a big sound, mm. but with something like the Bach suites, it's obviously you're playing something a bit more intimate so mm. i mean what kind of approach are you taking um playing these suites how is it different from your orchestral playing do you feel like you get to create a more intimate sound when you're playing these works yes absolutely you you try to recreate i mean it's in your imagination no and then you try to 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 get with the hands what you are dreaming of in terms of sound and and as you say, it's, it's a more intimate feeling. It's a bit more horizontal. It doesn't require so much maybe accented playing or so, so many, I mean, you need emphasis and you need articulation, but, um, but you need to create a longer landscape. One thing I wanted to speak to you about is, you know, the technical challenges of performing the Bach suites on the double bass, because obviously they're written for the cello I know how challenging they are myself as a cellist, but watching you play it on the double bass, and I can't help but notice there's a lot of jumping around, a lot of harmonics, not much playing in first position, no. <laughs> let's be honest. A lot of playing in the high positions, thumb position, and yeah, crazy string crossings, um, things like this. So, you know, for you, what, what are the most challenging things about performing 
the bath suites. And what are your strategies for tackling these challenges? When I looked at the first suite, there were other keys possibilities for the arrangement as well as playing in solo tuning on the bass, which would make it A major instead of G. So I kind of, I don't know, I always heard it in G. I wanted to kind of try to see if I could do it in the, in the original key signature. A lot of it actually works with the natural resonance of the, of the, of the double bass, with open strings, with some harmonics. But of course, there's a lot of string crossing that very often comes very unconveniently. So you need to work a lot on anticipation of left hand, preparing the string crossing with the, with the bow, shifting. I mean, I, what I've tried to do is, uh, because I, I really, would, as much as possible, I wanted to do either the original slayer, so try to see the concept behind them in not all of them, but then I would make my own version within, within the original indications. But whenever string crossing would be appropriate or try to not shift that much, but use the natural resonances, look for harmonics, even if sometimes, you know, you need to, to move the hand a bit more than, than would make sense, but you would get that resonance like of the open strings. So I, I would say that, yeah, string crossing, uh, shifting, um, but yeah, in a way the technical challenges somehow become clearer when when you when you see what you want to do with the phrase and with the music and i think that's the the bigger challenge like to to really put your intuition towards together with the with what you want to do with which each of the dances with the prelude with the with the, um, the saraband the aleman each of them has a different character that's the thing to put all this together what i found is when you have very clear in your head what you want to do with the music like the hands find a way to to kind of do what is needed, you know? And mm-hmm. even then there are some phases that you really have to, you know, to tackle separately and analyze what's the best fingering. As I said, a lot of left hand anticipation in, in all these string crossing and practice <laughs> many hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. And so you mentioned that you came up with your own edition of the Bach Suites, you know, in consultation and studying, analyzing Anna mm-hmm. Magdalena, Kellner and one of the anonymous versions, mm-hmm. as well as working with Lucia Swartz and Peter Vispolve. So you've come up with your own edition in consultation with all of these sources. Did something like this exist when you were studying? Do you wish it had? Well, at the time, there were more like, there were editions for double bass and there were many Boeing options. And, you know, the, the ones that I, I had access to at the time were quite you know, different than, than what I discovered recently. I don't know if to say my own edition, maybe because, of course, I mean, it's the one I used and I put together these three sort of manuscripts that we, we have. I mean, there are many more. There are There is another Anonymous and there, there are many. I mean, these were the, <laughs> the three more that I think are acclaimed to be the the most, most reliable uh, or most performed or most looked after, so to say. I mean, most of it, I tried to go to Anna Magdalena and occasionally some concepts I thought that actually between movements made more sense to to take a look at what Kellner had written. And the Anonymous, very, very seldom. It's just a few things. And mostly is, is the first two, I would say. Well, hopefully it provides a useful resources for lots of bass players mm-hmm. out there. And finally, you know, do you have plans to record any of the other suites? Yes, I would like to do at least two more, but I'm going to take my time because, as I said earlier, for me to play Bach is like the most challenging thing there is. In, in, and this suite took me like 
when, when did I say it was the first time? When I was 22, it took me 15 years to, <laughs> to actually feel like I want to record it. So with the others, I, I hope it will not be as long, but I would like to take my time to really feel the music, to, to find the right moment and then do it. I know it would have made more sense to do them all at once, but also, I mean, I'm, I'm very busy with the orchestra and my teaching job, so I thought this was the one at the time was the, the right thing to do. Absolutely. I mean, it's probably best to take your time with it so that you have, have that time and space to really internalize it and produce something that you're really, really proud mm. of. But I'm, I'm just saying I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the darkness of the second suite mm. and also see how you tackle the sixth if you choose to do that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> with the second is the, well, would be the next one I would like to do. There, there is mm. a, a, another challenge with the, with the key signature. It should be in D minor and comes quite high in the register for the double bass. But I've, I've seen some of the movements with my students and I'm kind of quite familiar with it. So I hope at some point- You've got this. Have... I'm sure you can do it. You've got mm. this. <laughs> and I feel like that key suits the timbre of the double bass really, really mm. well. Yeah. So um, you'll, have, you'll have to keep us posted on that. Luis, thank you for sharing your approach and your thoughts on performing and recording the Bach cello suites on double bass. We're going to share one of your videos on the Strad website um, fairly soon. So um, anyone listening, please go to strad.com to check that video out. Luis, thanks once again. My pleasure. That was Luis Cabrera. If you're after more Bach cello suites on the double bass, make sure to check out the strad.com for Luis's video performance of the Courant from suite number one. And if you've got your hands on a copy of our July 2023 issue, you'll be able to read Edickson Brewers' sentimental work on, that's right, the Bach cello suites on double bass. Don't forget to check out thestrad.com where you'll find the latest news, articles and reviews on all things to do with string playing. If you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students. If you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days. Start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. It will help other people discover this podcast. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.